following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everybody. I found that MC on the highway coming to church. She was trying to catch a ride, and I said, can you talk? There's nobody here in the male version that can talk tonight. She said, I think I can. I know the pastor of that church. What a joy to see you tonight. Isn't it great to be in the house of God? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. It's so wonderful to see you tonight on this beautiful, rainy Wednesday night. But you know what? It didn't stop you. You know, I've never preached to people that are not here. I've always preached to people that are here. And I want to declare to you tonight, I am very grateful that you're in the house of God and that you're here to hear the Word of God and that you're not in a hurry to get out of here, but you came and you're settled in and you're ready for another secret of Solomon. He's got some. He's got some. And there's somebody should have preached to him a few times too. But what a joy we've been having with this series. And I just, uh, I know it's a long series and uh, we're not quite finished. We're going to go 8, 9, and 10. But tonight, uh, we're, we're excited about what we're going to talk about tonight. But before I go any further, I want to say that we have had some passings lately in our church, some people that have, have left us to go to the great world that is prepared for us. And uh, we have been doing some funerals, and, and we have another one on Saturday at Harold Funeral Home. Uh, Jason and Christy are part of our church, and, and they're hosting this funeral on, on Saturday at 11 o'clock. Brother Frank Guzman, who was a tremendous, tremendous person and a tremendous man to me personally, and uh, left us last Sunday afternoon about 3 o'clock. He was able to watch the, 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 the church service, and he had enough strength to stay up and watch the church service, and then he, he left us at about 3 o'clock. His sweet wife is in the building tonight. Two daughters and a son is in the building tonight. And I think it'd be very appropriate if we just kind of applauded, not loud but kindly for these people to let them know how happy we are that they're in the house of God tonight. Sister Guzman and these three children that are in the house. I prayed for Frank Jr. over here tonight. And I know it's a difficult time. It's a difficult time. It's just you're never ready to say goodbye to a dad, a patriarch. You're never ready to say goodbye to a mom, a matriarch, but sometimes we have to do that, and it's just part of the process of life. We're all living men headed to a dying world, but I promise you, folks, there's a greater world coming, and that's the reason that your life needs to be dedicated and responsible to the house of God, and you need to have your family every chance you get to be in the house of God to worship God. Amen. Would you stand, you're incredible people. And I love you very much. We also are doing communion tonight. And if I can't get this one open, I'll open this one. All right? All right. What a joy to see you. It's an honor. And uh, Sunday, let me just say this real quickly. Sunday was absolutely un unbelievable for Patty and I. Just talking about it, I get <clears throat> teared up again. I'm sorry. I, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't even shut my mouth Monday. I was just still going, oh, God. This is unbelievable. This, this, it was beyond any comprehension. I, you know, to be here 30 years is a blessing for us. It was a blessing for us. And thank you for saying it was a blessing for y'all. 
and, and we're just happy, we're happy to be here on this Wednesday night, and, and we're not going anywhere. Somebody said, let's do 30 more. Okay, I'll be 100. Huh? <laughs> you know, Joe, uh, Moses was 120 and walked to his own funeral, <laughs> and the Lord buried him on top of a mountain, so he had to climb that mountain unless, unless Michael carried him up there. I don't know who carried him up there, but he was buried at Mount Nebo. But what a joy, what a joy to have pastored this congregation and come from that little building next door to what God is doing for us now. And uh, if you want to just get inspired, go through the new foyer tonight on your way out. You just kind of go around and go out that way. You go out to the parking lot right out the door. We'd love for you to see it. You're going to get excited. And we've got the new, uh, the new front being put on it, and it's going to be so pretty and so nice. By the end of March, we're going to be active in there. And then we're going to be, then we're going to be adding on to this one. And we're going to turn this sideways eventually, and we're going to have close to 1,700 people be able to worship in one setting. And that's just, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. Wow, 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 wow. By the way, some people said they saw that white limousine that we went out in Sunday. So I, there's no secrets in our world. We're as transparent as we can be. But there was a white limousine waiting on Patty and I. And uh, we went to East Austin. And we ate at a place called Jacoby's, Jacoby Restaurant and Mercantile. Yes. Folks, I love Hoover's. I love Hoover's. But if you hadn't eaten at Jacoby, home cooking Jacoby, old country style cooking Jacoby, <laughs> Mississippi cooking Jacoby, <laughs> Texas fried chicken Jacoby, <laughs> you haven't eaten old home cooking. I promise you. And save room for the cobbler <laughs> with a little bluebell on top. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you'd get it right then. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we went there. I hadn't, rode, I hadn't ridden in a, in a, in a uh, limousine in probably 20 years. We used to have a gentleman in our church. I know I'm talkative tonight. I'm talking to you a lot because I'm happy and I want to talk to you before I preach to you. <laughs> so if you don't like that, just close your ears. But, but we, we used to have a man named, uh, named David. Uh, what was his last name, baby? Noakes, Dave Noakes, who owned a uh, limousine service. And when our girls were little, he'd come by and pick us up during the Christmas season or during Thanksgiving or any time, summertime. And he'd say, you want to go on a ride? Well, Lord, our kids would just go crazy, our three daughters. And so he'd open the top, and our girls would stand up. And they thought there's the coolest thing in Austin, hollering at everybody. <laughs> Riding in a limousine going down the road, and, and uh, they kind of got spoiled. I think their blood turned blue, really. <laughs> but mine still runs red. But, but uh, we hadn't been in one in a long time, and when I walked out and I saw it, it thing was 37 feet long. Wow. I don't know how he got around corners. I don't know if the back wheels turned as well as the front wheels, but he drove us and got us over there, and we ate. By the time we got back and got in our cars and showed my wife's brother and his wife the new additions to our church, we got home at 6.05. It was a long day. And then Brad and Cass thought they hadn't visited enough, so they came over with their kids. <laughs> and oh, we love that. Amen. We really do. We really do. We really do. It's an honor to have children like God has given us. So I'm speaking on Solomon's secret number seven tonight. It won't be lengthy, I promise. And we're going to talk about success 
without succession is failure. Everybody say success without succession is failure. And turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the preacher. Say, Pastor, preach the word to us tonight. Let it touch my heart. Let it touch my mind. Preach the word to us tonight. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. Did you like that sign out there? We're going to have it for a while. Turn to somebody and shake their hand and say, I'm going to help him preach and you can be seated. I'm going to teach the gospel to you tonight. Y'all got a little joy in your life tonight. I love that. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Anytime I teach on the subject of marriage or parenting, I'm usually always approached afterward by some well-meaning but misguided people who gently rebuke me for my insensitivity toward those in the audience who may not be able to relate to the message. Like, what about the single adults here tonight, Pastor? Or what about those couples who are unable to have children? How do you think they feel? I don't think Paul wondered how certain unmarried people related to Ephesians 5 when he said, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. That's in the book. Or Moses, I don't think he thought about what the committee thought that would reject his book of Deuteronomy, limited all the promises to the Israels as is far too narrow in Moses' mind because you'd leave out this vast Gentile market, so he talked about us also. This lesson may not be for all of you here tonight, but I promise you chapter 8 will get you next week. Yet when you stand before God, He's not going to ask you about why you did not have children. Just like he'll not ask me why I didn't become an NFL football player. However, God's plan for us includes raising and rearing children. Solomon covered parenting in Proverbs. I want to talk to you tonight. You cannot be a success in life if you are a failure as a parent. Let me say it again, you cannot be a success in life. Or as a CEO of a company stated, success without succession is failure. That's where I got my thought text. The tragedy at Columbine High School in Colorado years ago raised a number of questions in our nation, not the least of which was what does it mean to be a good parent. And the reason I still bring this up and preach about it from time to time is that Daryl Scott, who lost his daughter Rachel in that Columbine tragedy, gave her life for the Lord Jesus Christ, is one of my dearest friends. I love Daryl. And the parents of the assassins were described by neighbors as the typical people, next-door parents who attended Little League games and took their sons swimming and fishing and enjoyed the tranquility of suburbia. And one person said, they seemed like dream parents. They were supportive. They were not critical. They didn't put undue pressure on their sons. They raised their boys just like the rest of us. The parents are not and were not monsters. So what was the difference? What were the differences between them and the parents of students like Cassie Bernal and Rachel Scott, Darrell's daughter, who were willing to die for their faith in Jesus Christ? See, there's a lot of books on successful parenting, and I've read some of them. And I trust you'll listen to your pastor tonight and not trying to tell you I have all the answers, but maybe I can give you insight to your home. 
because I think all of us need help when it comes to raising children. Can you say amen? amen? There are seven characteristics of a successful parent, and here's the acrostic built upon the word success. Everybody say success. success. S, see their children as a gift from God. U, understand, accept, and develop their child's bent. C, commit to leading their children to know God. Don't write it down. It'll come up later. C, communicate spiritual values to their children. E, exemplify godly character. S, seek to discipline their children consistently. And, and S, spend time with their children. So let's go through this acrostic. Let's go one letter at a time and see what we can attempt to teach tonight. Number one, S, see your children as gifts from God. Everybody say, my kids, my kids. are special. They are special. They are special. I don't care if they don't like to eat what you cook. They're still special. I don't care if they do always what you ask them to do. They're still special. I don't care if they wreck three cars like the girl that led service here tonight, but they're still special. <laughs> Where'd that come from? It's not in my notes. It just hit me. She wrecked three cars. Being a parent, I love her, is admittedly frustrating at times. Like the mother of eight who said to her friend, this morning the kids were so noisy that I threatened the next person in this house who screams is going to get his mouth washed out with soap. And then she added, and you know I can still taste that soap in my mouth right now. <laughs> Mama screamed first. Parenting is difficult, but a successful parent is one who views his or her children not as irritants or inconveniences, but as gifts from God. Amen. Psalms 127.3 said, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The word, the Hebrew word for gift is translated inheritance. Kids are an inheritance. They're an inheritance. That's my grandkid over there. Don't bother her. <laughs> it's the same word used in the Old Testament to describe the promised land that God gave to the Israelites. It was an inheritance. The land was undeserved inheritance from God. So are our children like receiving an inheritance from a grandfather, but it has stipulations. He says to the recipients, you can spend the interest of the money I give you, but the principle must be preserved just in case I need the money again. Children are gifts from God, but it comes with stipulations. They never belong to us. They belong to Him. They're just on loan. Children carry three distinct characteristics. A, our children are gifts of real value. You know, if someone died and gave you rotting lawn furniture and someone else died and gave you $30,000, the furniture might rot in the garage, but the money would not ever rot. It would be used. It would be well taken care of. Your child is not rotting furniture. They are a life gift from God. And it is our duty that as long as we have them to take care of our children. Say amen to that. God, take care of your kids. Be our children or gifts for which we will be held accountable. What have we imparted to our children? Have we imparted skills they need to live successfully? Have we communicated to them that there are at least two people on this earth who love them unconditionally? Now all my kids are raised and now we're raising grandkids and 
it's so much fun to do it the second time because you can spoil them and give them candy and anything they desire, whatever messes with their teeth or whatever makes them hyper and just send them home to mom and dad now. It's so much fun. And I have told my children, now this is just me talking, okay? I'm in a great mood tonight, so uh, let me just talk. I've told my kids when I get a lot older, I'm going to come to their house and they're going to take care of me like I took care of them. And I'm going to raid the refrigerator. I'm going to make calls from their phone long distance to my buddies. I won't care about a cell phone in that day. I'm going to drive their car and never fill it up with gas. That's what I'm going to do. But I want my children to know something. That they will always be my children. They may be out of fellowship with me someday, but they'll never be out of relationship with this father. I will love them till the very end. Come on, we got to love our kids. We got to let our kids know that they are special in our lives. And see, our children are temporary gifts. You know, the hard, hardest calling of a pastor is the funeral of a child. It's unnatural for parents to bury their children not right. Kids ought to bury their parents. One author stated that if you are 35 and you live to be 70, you just have 500 days left to live. Really? Yeah. After taking care of the necessities, like working, like eating, like sleeping, you don't have a lot of days left. We're not parents for a long time, so let's be good parents for the time that we have left with our kids. Come on, clap your hands all over the building. Kids are a gift. The second thing is you understand, accept, and develop your child's bent. There was a mother returning home from a convention of feminists. She was greeted by her five-year-old daughter. While you were gone, Mommy, I decided what I wanted to be when I grow up. That's wonderful, the mom replied. What do you want to be? She said, I want to be a nurse, the little girl said. Mom could not contain her disappointment. She said, honey, you don't have to settle for being a nurse. And to ever nurse in this building, I don't agree with this story, but I'm just telling the story. In the world today, you could be a doctor, an airline pilot, the head of a large corporation, or even the president of the United States. You can be anything you want. The little girl's eyes brightened. She said, I can be anything? She said, that's right, sweetheart. Her mom assured her. She said, okay, I want to be a horse. Anything you want. <laughs> Dr. James Dobson's one of my favorite reads. And he says this, each child is hand-stitched by the Lord, not mass-manufactured in some sweatshop. Their personality is cut from a unique bolt of cloth. Like snowflakes and fingerprints, no two are alike. Your kid and my kid are not alike, but they're special to us. And our children are very real and very dear to us. So that's why you train up a child in the way he should go. Some people mistakenly interpret Solomon's words this way. If you faithfully teach your children the right values, even if they stray for a while, they will eventually return to their spiritual moorings. Yet there are kids who never follow the moral and the spiritual values their parents have imparted to them. And that guilt consumes parents many times so heavily. Let me preach. 
Where did we go wrong, Pastor? What did we do wrong? We did our part. Why didn't God keep his end of the bargain? So, Pastor, how do you explain Solomon's promise? The key to correctly applying Proverbs 22 and 6 is understanding the phrase, in the way he should go. This phrase does not refer to moral or spiritual direction of a child, but rather to the child's unique interest and inclinations of life. Translated, train a child according to his individual bent, because that bent will always be a part of his life. Don't try to force him into something that he doesn't want to be. Don't try to push him into something. If a child loves music, he'll always be pulled to a piano stool or a guitar or a drum. That's what he's going to be. If a child is a natural leader, he or she will always try to lead whatever group they are in. If a child is more cerebral than athletic, he will not lead, she will not lean toward athletics, but gravitate to intellectual things. You must let a child go where they need to go and what they're drawn to in life. And I'm not talking about sexual identity. I'm talking about what they desire. You know, I always wanted to be an FBI agent. I wrote the FBI when I was a junior in high school. My dad said, that's the goofiest thing I ever heard of in my life, son. You'll get shot the first day on the job. Thank you, Dad, for that confidence. And my dad said, son, you ought to, you ought to think about farming. You ought to think about doing something that, that, that deals with the earth. I said, Daddy, I've chopped so much cotton and pulled so many bowls. I don't want to do anything with the farm anymore in my life. And then one day I got down to pray, and God said, I got something for you. Woo. And that became my bent. I was 14 years old, and that became my bent. And all of a sudden, everything I saw, I saw from a different eye because that was my bent. I wanted to preach this gospel. I didn't have anybody to push me out of the nest. I had nobody to say, you can go here and go here. I'll speak for you. It was just me and the Lord in this big, big wide world. But all of a sudden, God said, you know what? I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to let you preach, and you're going to find a way, and you're going to discover your path. And here we are today. I've discovered my path because it was my bent. If that child wants to do something for Jesus Christ, don't you push them away from what God has in their life. My mother told me one time after I was preaching about 10 years, she said, I'm so glad that you're a preacher. I'm so glad you preach the gospel. She said, I was so afraid you just want to be president of the United States and be frustrated your whole life. I said, Mama, preach is pretty frustrating too. But I'm, 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 I'm doing my bent tonight. I love what I'm doing. John Maxwell wrote this. He said, 10 questions parents should answer about their child. Number one, what gives my child joy? What does my kid get happy about? Number two, who's my child's hero? Number three, what does my child fear the most? What do they fear? Number four, what activates and gives my child energy? What do they get energized over? And number five, which one wears my child out? What does my child hate? besides eating spinach. Number six, if my child got to choose this year's vacation, where would he or she want to go? Number seven, if my child could pick one activity for me to do with him or her, what would it be? Number eight, what music does my child like? And number nine, others, other than going to school or sleeping, what does my child spend most time doing each week besides Fortnite? I didn't mean to say that last part. And number 10, what does my child want to be when he grows up? 
That's the bent. That's what a child reaches for. Shakespeare said it's a wise father who knows his own child. Discover, accept, and develop your child's unique bent. Let me tell you something. If your child is athletic and he loves Jesus, I'll go watch him run in the Olympics because he'll represent Jesus everywhere he goes. Amen. Amen. If your child makes it to the NFL or makes it to the NBA, he's got a pastor backing him because if he takes Jesus with him, he'll represent Jesus everywhere he goes. If your child is into politics, well, bless his heart, let him go. Because we need some Christians in politics today. Amen. 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 I don't know how well I'm doing, but I think I'm doing all right. Understand your child's bent. Three, C, commit lead to leading your children to know God. This is so important. There was a man who argued with English poet Samuel Coleridge about the place of religious instructions in parenting. He said, you don't th I don't think parents should indoctrinate their kids with religion or salvation. Instead, they should give their children the freedom to make their own choices. And Coleridge didn't say a word, but invited the man to his backyard to look at his garden and the visitor exclaimed this is no garden it's just a patch of overgrown weeds and Coleridge replied well it used to be a garden but I decided to give it the freedom to become whatever it chose to become without interference from me and I got weeds read Proverbs 4 1 through 4 when you get home write that down Proverbs 4 1 through 4 probably the top life lesson David taught his son was the fact that during the darkest hours of his life God was both able and he was willing to forgive our sins if we will humble ourselves and ask him. David prayed that prayer in Psalms 51. So my question is, do you really see your kids as facing an eternity? Do you believe in an, an eternal consequence? Do you believe that? Do you, do, does your kids know how to ask or receive God's forgiveness in his life? Do you know how to instruct that to your kids? There's three things I want to say. Number one, you need to pray for your children. I remember coming home many times at night, and I was a pretty good kid. I really, really was. I don't, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I didn't do stuff that made mom and dad lay awake at night. But I never walked in the house without hearing my mother praying, God bring Rex home tonight safe. Don't let the devil have him. Oh, when I heard the devil, it just scared the fire out of me. <laughs> Don't let the devil have him. That's the kind of prayers my mom prayed over me. <laughs> Hannah's story was powerful. She's a woman that prayed for a son in the Old Testament. She requested a child, and the priest thought she was drunk, and so he tried to run her out of the house of God, but God answered her prayer. But her prayer didn't stop there. When Samuel was born, she dedicated him to the Lord's service. And then at three years old, she gave him to the charge of a man of God, Eli. Let me say something to you. There's nothing wrong with trusting a church with your children in this hour. If you can trust a school system that may be atheistic and agnostic and may have teachers that don't trust God and you can trust that teacher, you ought to be able to trust somebody that loves God that wants to take your children to heaven. Pray for your children. And although Samuel didn't know the Lord, nor had he had the Lord been revealed to him, she continued to pray, and the Lord eventually revealed himself to Samuel. Pray for your kids. Amen. Second thing, be open to your child's desire to become a Christian. 
86% of children who make a move to Christianity make that move before the age of 15. They don't have to understand the revelation, the communion, the baptism, and the doctrine of the church. Their heart is tender. Lead them to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, don't hinder the children to come to me. I want children to come to me. And number three, you need to schedule a time to explain the gospel to your kids. Teach your children the word of God. If you set appointments with everyone else, set appointments with your kids. Teach them the word. I was in the delivery room with the last two girls. Wasn't able to go with the first girl because it was back, way back in the 70s when Misty was born. But when I saw my little girls being born here in Austin, or in St. Louis, I'm sorry, in the delivery room, it pales in comparison to see your children find the Lord in their life. There is nothing that's been greater in my life than to see my kids find Jesus. I love my kids knowing Jesus. And I love my kids loving church. And I love my kids being around here. And you know, I don't have all the secrets, but I will tell you one thing, that we fought for our kids. We prayed for our kids. We led our kids. We brought our kids to the house of God. We didn't send them. We brought them because the house of God was everything to us. Come on, let's raise our kids right. Let me, let me hurry. Everybody say, lead your kids to know God. And number four, we've got to communicate spiritual values to our children. This is powerful right now. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23, read it when you get home. Dr. Albert Seigel said in the Stanford Observer, when it comes to rearing children, every society is only 20 years away from barbarism. 20 years is all we have to accomplish the task of civilizing infants who are born into our midst each year. Raising godly kids today is like swimming against the tide. It's tough walking uphill. Kids are constantly bombarded with ideas and values from the world that are in opposition to our Christian faith. Or as one man stated, this is probably the most powerful statement I will tell and read and show you today. The prize is the inner spirit of my children and the stakes are high. Arrayed against me are those who wish to extract money and loyalty and the strong conservative energy my son or daughter may have to give. In the eternal dimension, the prize is the soul of my children. And I'm not prepared to compromise or negotiate until my children are old and wise enough to distinguish their enemies from their friends. I hold the responsibility to conduct both a defense and an offense on their behalf. I will not let my children make bad decisions if I can help it. Clap your hands. That's good stuff. We must communicate spiritual values, honesty and purity and integrity and diligence to our children. We must teach them to pray and resist temptation and determine God's will for their lives and share their faith with others. See, Moses understood Solomon's words that children are 20 years from spiritual barbarism in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. He wrote about it. Write that down. Moses is saying simply prepare for battle. He said, your kids are facing an enemy and you got to give them weapons that they can win with because they're in a battle for their lives. The phrase translated, teach them diligently. It actually means to intensely sharpen them, make them sharper than the world's evil so they can cut right through the world and have an answer 
and give an answer back to somebody trying to take them away from this gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I'm not talking about a necessarily a weekly Bible study. I'm not talking about that. But when you go to McDonald's, when you go to Chick-fil-A, when you go to a Sonic and you get a, a Coney dog or whatever, in the car, playing ball, eating at the table, watching a program on TV together, father, son, mother, daughter, dad, daughter, mother, son. Use every available time to teach them. Moses said when you're walking down the road, when you sit at the table, when you sit down at night, when you lay down in bed, teach your kids. Put it around their neck. Put it on their wristband. Let them read it. Let them see it. Put it on their head. Put everything you can into them. My kids used to ask when I'd get them by themselves, little Caitlin, little Cassidy, they used to ask the most wonderful things about heaven because they wanted to know about Justin and where he was and they'd ask the most wonderful things about being saved, about Jesus, about eternity. Don't be afraid to answer. You may not know the answer, but your kids think you know everything. So teach, 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 teach in Jesus' name. Amen. And number five, not only do you communicate spiritual values, exemplify godly character to your kids. If you're going to teach it, you better live it. I'm going to say that again. If you're going to teach it, you better live it. Because I promise you, there's an eye watching you. I've got a five, six-year-old granddaughter. She corrected me today. She rode back with me from Mighty Fine back to church. And she rode with me, and, and I said, you're five years old, right in the front seat. She said, I'm six, thank you. <laughs> I knew that, but I was just testing her. Here's what, here's what I believe. I'd rather see a sermon any time than hear one. Some things are better caught than taught. You know, a pastor had preached about home and he went to his office and there was a note from his 12-year-old daughter and it went something like this. Dear Dad, your message was very good today. As I listened, I thought about some ways you could apply it to our own home. <laughs> Here are some suggestions for some things you could do to help mom and the kids around the house. And she listed them and I won't go into them because I'll hurt your feelings. I got to hurry. She listed some great things. Hear me. Your kids are listening to you, Amen. and they're watching you, Amen. and it's hard to teach what you don't do yourself. Right. Don't tell your kids how to worship, or, or to worship, and you're not doing it. Don't tell your kids they got to pray if you're not praying. Don't tell your kids to forgive if you're not forgiven. Don't tell your kids to be angry when you're angry all the time. Come on, they're watching you, and they're going to emulate you more than you're going to listen to you. That's right, that's right. So this so-called do as I say and not as I do doesn't work in this generation. They're watching. They're watching. Amen. Exemplify godly character. Number six, S, seek to discipline your children consistently. Now, I'm going to get into uh, just a little couple of things here. I, I'm going to take about three minutes on this point. Tony Campolo wrote, It should be noted that God had two perfect children, Adam and Eve, whom he reared in the perfect environment of Eden, yet both of them rebelled against his will. Where there is freedom, there will be rebellion. Solomon devotes much space to the subject of discipline our children. 
And as I study his writing, I believe that all of Solomon's counsel about correcting children can be distilled into three simple statements. Dis discipline should begin early in life. Amen. The word diligent me diligently means at early dawn, not early in the morning, but early in life. J. Edgar Hoover said that correction doesn't begin in the electric chair, but in the high chair. Eli the priest was a sad example because two sons were worthless men who engaged in immorality and in theft from the people. And as a result, God sentenced them to death in 1 Samuel 3. The problem is that Eli wanted or waited until the sons were too old to begin correcting them. They were already engaged in full-fledged rebellion against God, the country, and their father. You've got to teach your children early in life. And somebody said, well, Pastor, my kids are already past that. Well, ask God to shrink them. <laughs> Honey, I shrunk the kids. You've got, to, you've got to get into that child. You've got to get into that child's spirit. You've got to get into that child's heart. You've got to turn their heart toward the God that you love yourself. And it's not too late to start. It's not too late to start, but it is too soon to quit. Hallelujah. You know, and I believe discipline should be tailored to the child and to the offense. You know, Proverbs 23 says, Deliver his soul from hell, and he will not die. Solomon talked about using the rod. And uh, my, dad, my, my dad believed in that. I know it's not preachable today, but he's not, Solomon wasn't advocating child abuse here. But he's saying the right kind of physical discipline administered in a spirit of loving correction rather than anger will not harm the child. The child will live and save his soul from hell. The appropriate action will break the rebellious will of a child. Proverbs 29, 17 says, correct a child and rest will come and delight to your soul. That word correct there is a verse, refers to verbal instruction. The other rever referred to physical correction. But this is verbal correction, not corporal punishment. A wise parent knows that all offenses do not deserve the same punishment. I remember when I used to travel, we lived in St. Louis, and I'd come home, and the girls had been acting up, and Patty said, Baby, Misty's been doing this, boom. Cass's been doing this, boom. Caitlin's been doing this, boom. Okay, what we got here? <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you. My girls can tell you this is a fact. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of corporal punishment in our home. I really didn't. The worst I ever did was a paint stick about this long that stirred paint. And I'd slap it against my, faint, my hand, and they'd go to hollering, Daddy, 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 Daddy. <laughs> and if you hit them too hard, it would break. It wasn't anything. But when, but when I grew up and, and my mother started teaching school, I made her a paddle this long. And I said, Mama, use it. Use it heavy. She said, Son, don't do that to me. You didn't do that to your kids. Don't do that to me. But I'm telling you, words, my words could break my kid's heart. I, I, I wasn't putting on. I, I would be broken. I'd say, I can't believe. <laughs> They'd come up and say, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Daddy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> And they think now that I was playing. I wasn't playing. It was breaking my heart. I could just see my kid rebelling and going away and going to Hollywood and trying to be something out in Hollywood or something. <laughs> Leaving us and never loving the ministry and never loving what I was doing. And I said, God, don't let that happen. And I prayed for my kids and I corrected my kids. And we fought every day. 
because the devil wanted a preacher's child to be taken away from the house of God, but not on my watch. Not on my watch. You've got to fight for your kids. And discipline when you do should be grounded in love. In the kingdom of God, disobedience always brings consequence. James Dobson said it this way. He said it this way. The parent must convince himself that punishment is not something that he does to the child. It's something he does for the child. And his attitude toward his disobedient youngster is this. I love you too much to let you behave like this. And it's 8.32 and I've got to close. I'm going to ask the musicians and the singers to come. You've got to discipline children consistently. You've got to be the man, the woman that runs the house with kindness and love. And the seventh, the seventh is S, spend time with your kids. A century ago, 54% of parents' waking hours were spent with his or her children. Today, the figure is 18%. Average father spends 37 seconds a day with children. Too busy, Dad. Pastor, I'm not that kind of father. I know you're the one that makes it 37, not 30. Average father, too busy. USA polls indicated that when teens are under stress or in crisis, the first thing they turn to today is music. The second thing they turn to today is friends. The third thing they turn to today is television. Mom comes in at 31, 31st, and fathers are barely even registered at number 48. Dads don't hardly make the top 50. Hillary Clinton did right. It takes a village, but it doesn't take a village. It takes time by parents, by grandparents and people to raise a child. And Eli was consumed with his work and he neglected his sons and they were overcome by rebellion and Satan won that battle. It is interesting, Eli is not remembered as a good priest and he was a good one. Instead, he's remembered as a delinquent father. And it's not so important to look good to people. You've got to look good to your kids. They're the ones that count. Every now and then, I'm done, I'm finished. Every now and then, I see my kids, my daughters, two of my daughters have three children and one of my daughters has two children and her, her boys are 20 and 16 and all three of my daughters have done remarkable with their kids. And uh, I'm so proud, I'm so proud and, and, and I'm not saying it boastfully but I'm so proud that our family loves Jesus. That's huge in our world folks, to love Jesus is huge. We don't question him, we just love him. Jesus is everything in our homes. He's everything in our lives. And it's got to be that way. Because if it's not that way, if he's not first and foremost, he's not anything at all. He's got to be number one. Amen? The Lord our God is one and him only shall you serve. So we're going to take communion tonight. We're going to take communion tonight. But I was telling about my kids. Sometime I go to them and I say, was I too hard? Was I too strict? Did I do too much? Was it too heavy on you? And every one of my girls say, Daddy, I wish you'd have been a little heavier on us. Wish you'd have done a little more. And it makes me believe and know that my kids weren't overcorrected. It wasn't. 
and they love God. So I don't have the answers. I really don't have the answers. I really, really don't. But I think sometime, sometime, every now and then, there's, there's some people with corn in their crib that can help you with your corn. Would you stand to your feet all over the building? We're going to receive communion tonight before we go home. We're going to take communion. I want you to raise your hands and I want you to pray this prayer. Dear Lord, and, and, and say this whether you're a parent or not. Say, Dear Lord, Dear Lord help, me help me to be the parent, be the, parent the grandparent, the, grandparent the, person the person that I need to be, need to be when it comes, when it comes to, my to my children. Help me be the example. Help me be the light. Help me be the person that my kids want to be around, want to honor want to respect and want to obey and God I love you and I don't want to be a disobedient son or daughter let me be the person to you that I need to be I want to be that person so my kids can be to me what I am to you an obedient child Lord, bless our family tonight. Bless our grandkids tonight. Bless our nieces and nephews tonight. Bless our extended family tonight. And let us know, and let us know that you love us every day. Because Jesus, we want to do what's right. Amen, amen. Amen. Clap your hands all over the building tonight.